The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Yeah, really nice to be with everyone this morning. Beautiful day here in Minneapolis. And um, I mentioned this month and for a couple more months, I'll be covering this uh, path of practice that the Buddha taught. And there's some basic, skillful means, ways of working with our own heart, body, mind that we want to get good at. And however not good we are at those skills, the cool thing is we can get better, but we have to apply ourselves. And you know, we human beings, we're doing stuff all the time, cultivating habits, mostly unconsciously, all the time. So part of, uh, maybe the main part of a spiritual path is that recognition that whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm cultivating habits. So let me be aware that I'm cultivating habits and be consci- you know, consciously choose, well, what habits are worthy of cultivation? So I mentioned, and this is really coming right out of the Buddha's teachings, it's really his most repeated and highly praised and specific set of instructions that he gave for meditation practice. The mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out. But remember, even though it sounds like he's just talking about being aware of the breath, that's really just for the first couple of the 16 instructions. And then after the first couple of instructions, we're really being aware of different aspects of the mind. But the breath is there kind of like a metronome. I know I'm in the present moment because I notice the breath is coming in or I'm noticing the breath is going out. But what I'm really interested in is the totality of the body. Like we, that was the third instruction. Or feeling that healing calm in the body, which is the fourth instruction. And then onward to a sense of joy, that lightness and ease. I always know when it's the equinox because the sun comes in. (laughs) So when we get close to, we're not there yet of course, but for the next month or so there will be sun shining at this time of day. And last week I mentioned all the way along, the, the real guiding principle is this weaning our heart <clears throat> off of the real pleasures we get by thinking about what we want to think about and consuming what we consume, right? There's real juiciness and sense pleasure. If I start fantasizing about a retreat or fantasizing about ice cream, there's a little sense hit there, you know, a little juiciness, a little excitement. And basically, most of the time we're content just, you know, feeding off of whatever our mind can find to feed off of. Have you noticed, caught your mind like looking for something exciting to think about, to worry about, to plan about, to fantasize about, And then we're 
if we watch like with a kind of equanimity balance, we really get a sense, oh yeah, the mind is trying to extract some nutriment from that obsessive thinking. I'm trying to get something. And then it, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's like chewing gum. You know, initially you put the stick of gum in your mouth, it's got a lot of flavor. But after a while, there's not much flavor and you want to put a new stick of gum in. And that's a little bit like our mind, the mind's tendency to obsess, whether I'm thinking about the future or regurgitating the past or obsessing, thinking about something in the moment. But that's a kind of the go-to habit of the mind. And then the first, uh, really the basic principle in our spiritual practice is to wean ourselves off of those worldly pleasures or worldly drama, the juiciness of worldly drama. That's why we often sit in a relatively empty room, you know, or, you know, those of us who don't have a spare room at home, we sit in front of a wall or in front of a window or something relatively neutral, not where all, all of our interesting stuff is, but something like a plant, <laughs> you know, that doesn't elicit a lot of drama for us. And, you know, we tell the people we live with, leave me alone for 30 minutes. And you train your dog or your cat to leave you alone for that period of time. And you sit in a relatively comfortable way that supports alertness and relaxation. Because even though from an outside perspective, like from one of our friends who don't meditate, it's like, that seems really boring. You're just sitting there for 45 minutes or 60 minutes or 10 minutes or, and you're not really moving. And when you catch your mind doing those juicy things, thinking about something that was dramatic from the past or fantasizing about something in the future, you persistently bring it back to what? The breath? You mean you're just feeling the air touching the nostrils as it goes in? and feeling the air touching the nostrils as you go out, or feeling the rising and the falling. Why would you do that, right? That's because the, from an ordinary point of view, like from a friend who, who doesn't do the practice, or from ourselves before we started the practice, we would think about like tracking that experience of the rising and falling of the belly that corresponds with breathing in and breathing out, and we'd go, there is nothing juicy to feed on in that experience. So why would I attend to it? But here's the, the big significant difference and why it really defines, kind of, is the flavor of the whole path. We're going from our usual go-to move, which is to try to, <clears throat> feed on drama and intensity of our sense experiences, the pleasure and pain, avoiding the pain, of course, getting the pleasure of our sights, of sound, of smell, of taste, of touch, and of thought. Thought about sense experience, right? Because that has a little of the same thing as the actual experience. When I think about the sweet taste of ice cream, I salivate. Because right? there's something about imagining sense experience with thought 
that has a little bit of the actual sense experience itself. So that's our go-to. But now what we're trying to uncover and use as a kind of guidepost is it really feels good to not be caught and the endlessness of seeking something juicy with sense experience. It actually feels good to abandon that endless pursuit, to put it down. A little bit like deep sleep, we put it down, right? We're not in pursuit of anything in those deeper stages of sleep. Same with our meditative journey. It's not the whole journey, but it's an essential part because it gives our heart the taste of simplicity. And we realize, although subtle, it feels good. And the mind that isn't divided, isn't fragmented, it isn't disturbed by our chewing on juicy stuff, feeding on intensity, seeking this, getting rid of that, because now the mind is, in a sense, organizing itself around something simple, just being with the physicality of breathing in, just being with the physicality of breathing out. And because that's so ordinary and neutral for most of us, you know, there are people maybe who've had breathing problems or asthma, then your breath may not be a suitable training ground for your collecting, gathering the mind in the present moment. But for most people, it's a suitable training ground. And if you don't want to use the breath, you can use the whole body, you can use hearing, you can even use different touch points in the body for those first couple instructions where we're using that exclusive anchor. So it's, you know, we're really, we need to borrow some faith that it has some value from the Buddha who's saying, just track the breathing in from the beginning of the in-breath to the end. Let the sensations of breathing in or breathing out be in the forefront of attention. Don't worry about thoughts, other sensations, sounds, like the lawnmower or whatever that is. Just let that stuff be where it is. You don't have to be in conflict with the other phenomena that are there in the present moment. That's really important. Because sometimes we think like in order to be with the breath, I have to pay attention to that obnoxious sound of the weed whip or the lawnmower as if it's going to change things. No, no. It's all about interest, cultivating interest in the meditation object. And we actually have the capacity to be interested in what's ordinary and neutral. We don't have to pay attention to the juicy predominant phenomena in the moment. It's just the habit attention will naturally go to the most obnoxious, loudest, provocative, whatever, sound, sight, thought, smell, taste. It's just going to go there. That's just almost like an instinct. And then we pick up the training and say, yeah, sure, you're here, but how about this? Can you be with that physicality of the belly rising? 
and falling, or the touching for some of you, or expansion of the chest and the contraction of the chest. It doesn't really matter what aspect of the breathing process, because we're just looking for something that's dynamic. That's one of the nice things about the breathing process as opposed to touch points or even the whole body. The dynamic nature is a little bit more obvious with the breath, which makes it a little bit more interesting. So initially, the attentiveness, it's like, it's a higher challenge because it's changing, 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 changing. The breath isn't some static entity. It's a natural process that's always changing. And so it, it draws out this capacity to be attentive. See, to be with the breath, it can't be the previous moment because the breath now is not the same as the previous moment. So the attentiveness, the interest has to renew itself and renew itself and renew itself. And that, about the breath, but you have to do with whatever object you're gonna use as your training object, right? You have to renew the interest moment by moment by moment by moment because that's the only thing that's gonna cause everything else to go into the background. And that's what allows the heart to realize this feels good in a deep inner sense like we, I think I mentioned last week, this it's a taste of seclusion. The mind is feeling secluded from what normally torments the mind. Everything I see, whether we know it or not, we have a little opinion about. And even if we see something that's ordinary, you know, I look at John's shirt and I see an ordinary shirt, sorry, John. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, and, but even that, like that subtle, mostly, almost always unconscious, like, oh, that's, I don't have an opinion about that shirt. Even that is some agitating work for my mind. Like that dismissing of what's neutral, ordinary, because it's neutral and ordinary. It's stressful to be defining things as ordinary, just like it's stressful to be liking what we like and not liking what we don't like. It's stressful, surprisingly, with our ordinary mind, it's stressful for this mind, this sensitive mind, heart, to be impinged moment by moment by innumerable sense, contacts, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, thoughts, touches, and the sensitive mind, sensitive heart is in relationship to all of that. And it's a stressful burden that we don't even realize until we start to taste what it's like when the mind is attending to just one thing and is having a vacation <clears throat> from attending to everything else. And we realize, oh, that feels good. <laughs> the simplicity of not being obliged to attend to all that the mind would otherwise be attending to feels good. And so that's why that 
cultivation of interest. It's not a forceful, willful move. We're inspiring the mind, like this training for the first two instructions. We're inspiring the mind to be interested, to be attentive to something that's ordinary. And you can do this, I mentioned this last week, we can do this all day long because it's the same muscle. Whenever you're doing something ordinary and you choose to be 100% there, you're shutting a door, but you're really there 100% in that ordinary activity of shutting the door or driving or chopping vegetables or brushing your teeth or waiting in line for the clerk doesn't matter what it is, that you're using whatever's ordinary in that experience and you're training your mind, your heart, to be fully present, attentive in that ongoing way. Not one moment, but sustaining the interest. Then you're developing that muscle and you should, you'll know that you're developing, you're doing the training, if you feel the natural inevitable result, which is now the mind is a little bit more simple, a little bit more gathered, less dissipated by knowing this and that and knowing its reaction to this and that. So it's doing less and less of that and more and more being present with an ordinary experience that isn't triggering reactivity because of its ordinariness, right? That's why I mentioned like if you have some trauma around breath, like you had a lot of asthma as a child, it's not a necessary, it's probably not a good training, meditation training object for you. Because we want the neutrality of something like breathing in and breathing out, or feeling the whole body, or hearing sounds when it isn't a weed whip, or something like that, like just, the wind blowing through the trees, or crickets at night, or whatever it might be. You know, just the blower of your furnace. Because that white noise is profoundly neutral, and our habit is to ignore what's neutral. So we have to develop the habit of being interested and attentive. And initially it's a lot of work until we start to feel that subtle pleasure of seclusion. And then we're conjoining the attentiveness with the neutral training object, with the pleasure, the very real but subtle pleasure of that simplicity. Then it starts to get easier and easier. And that's our work, especially with this first set of four instructions. We want to develop that spiritual muscle that capacity to be interested in neutrality. And we have all day long to train, and then in our daily sit, when we put aside that time, now you won't necessarily do this for your whole sit, but the first part of every sit, even if you've been meditating like myself for 40 years, I do at least a little of this at the beginning of every sit, where I'm being exclusively attentive to something because it's such a convenient way for the mind to drop what, would, what it would normally be obsessing or thinking or reacting to.
because I'm bringing to the forefront a meditation object and I'm saying, honey, let's pay attention to this, let's get interested in this, let's track this moment by moment by moment by moment. And in order to do that, the mind that pays attention has to stop paying attention and stop doing whatever else it would be doing because the mind doesn't do two things at the same time. It does one thing at a time. And if we're tracking something ordinary, then it's necessarily dropping so much of its mental activity, most of which is agitating and, and disturbing the kind of balance and stability of samadhi, that unification, that gathered stable, settled, pure, whole quality. And all those words is what we mean by that samadhi, that unification of mind. And I mentioned last week it gets badly translated as concentration. So let me read a little bit. I included this article um, in the uh, the document that I've been pasting for everybody in the chat and for all of you in the room. Remember, you can get the Sunday resources. Just go to the calendar, online calendar for Common Ground. And when you look at the Sunday morning program, right there where it has the Zoom link and the details, there will be a link for the document. And it, I keep adding articles and then when we change topic, I start fresh. But for a couple months now, I'll just keep accumulating some articles related to mindfulness of breathing, including this one from Tani Sarupiku, who's a Buddhist monk, an American Buddhist monk, abbot of a monastery outside of San Diego. And uh, he practiced for many years in Thailand, and uh, but has been now running the monastery there. And he's an amazing scholar and meditation teacher. And this is his article, The Steps of Breath Meditation. And uh, just let me read a couple paragraphs. In the latter stages of breath meditation, the emphasis is focused less on the breath than on the mind as it relates to the breath. In the beginning stages, though, the emphasis is on the breath itself, on using the breath to snare the mind and bring it into the present moment. In the first two steps, you simply you are simply with long breathing and short breathing, or you could say gross and refined breathing. In the first two steps, you're simply with long breathing and short breathing, sensitizing yourself to what long and short breath breathing feel like. Beginning with the third step, though, there's an element of volition. You train yourself. And the first thing you train yourself to do is be aware of the whole body as you breathe in, aware of the whole body as you breathe out. When the Buddha describes concentration states, he doesn't use images of single-pointedness. This is a really important point now, that's why I wanted to read this paragraph. He urges images of whole body awareness. When a sense of rapture and pleasure comes from the breath, he tells you to need that sense of rapture and pleasure through the whole body. This need is K-N-E-A-D, like you need breath. 
the way you would knead water into flour to make dough. Right? So we've done the work of training the mind to be attentive to something ordinary, to be interested in breathing in and breathing out. And that's caused the mind to drop its ordinary activities, its neurotic ordinary activities. And then we bring in this element of inclusivity, we're including the whole body, and there's some pleasure there, and it's like we're integrating the pleasure and the rhythm of breathing in and out with the totality of the energy of the body. And this is that spreading of calm. And the hard thing here for us is we have, and this is just our animal instinct, you know, where things that are painful get our attention. It's like an instinct. Something's hurting, something seems dangerous, we look at it. So here we are, still feeling our body, our mind, but the Buddha is saying, just keep in mind the pleasure of simplicity, the unity of the whole body, and the deepening, the spreading of calm. It's really a, we're healing the relationship between the knowing mind and the body that's being known. In the same way that some of us have healed the relationships in our family, with a friend, with a lover, the mind and the body don't always get along. Sometimes the mind really hates the body, like when it's painful or doesn't behave itself, can't do what we want it to do. And we can have a lot of shame around our body, all kinds of neurotic tendencies in that relationship. But now the mind is knowing the body, is in that kind of allowing, non-judging, inclusive way. And all of that feels good. We want to need that good feeling until it spreads, fills the totality of the experience of the body. Let me just read a little bit, a couple more sentences here. Another image the Buddha uses of the rapture welling up from within the body and filling the body just like a spring of cool water coming up from the bottom of a lake, filling the entire lake with its coolness, that suffusion. Another image of lotuses standing in a lake. Some of the lotuses don't come above the water but stay totally immersed in the water, saturated from their roots to their tips with the stillness and coolness of the water and the lake. Still another image the Buddha uses is of a person wrapped in a white cloth totally surrounded by the white cloth from head to foot, so all of the body is covered by the white cloth. Now here, I believe the way I interpret that last one, because it as assimilates a little, it's maybe stranger, it's like a very light cloth, just lightly touching the skin. Because in a more refined state of that inner happiness of seclusion, it's just like a really light feeling. But the point, the most important point that we can take home and work with this week, and you have to work with it, is there is an inner pleasure. It's essential for navigating the spiritual life to feel 
how it feels good to turn inward. Otherwise, what happens is the mind keeps going to sense experience for satisfaction. Endlessly frustrated, but not knowing what else to do, we imagine the next food we're going to eat, the next entertainment we're going to watch, the next conversation we're going to have, the next itch we're going to scratch, and that kind of gets us through life. The endless pursuit of interesting sense experiences and avoiding the unpleasant sense experiences. But there's no end to that. And then we hear these kinds of instructions and we check it out. We have to put some effort in before we start having some experience that, oh, there's really something to this. And then when we do get these meditative experiences, we start connecting the dots and we remember other moments in life, not when we were formally meditating, that when there was that pleasure of turning inward, and we might have associated it with some external thing, like oh, I was in the woods, but it was really that the mind had dropped everything else. It's, it's kind of why humans like intense experience. It's not the intensity, like people, you know, do those strange things like jumping off of bridges with a bungee cord. Or, well, when you're jumping off the bridge, I'm imagining, I've never done that, but in that process, your mind drops everything else. It's not aware of anything else. I forget how it's said in, in French, but there's a phrase for making love that's translated like a little death. And it's the same thing with any kind of intense sense experience, a real strong pleasure, the mind initially is just all there because it's really pleasurable. You know, the first moments of seeing a beautiful sunset or, you know, some unusual phenomena, like uh, seeing a creature you haven't seen before. The mind is wrapped and it drops everything else. It goes quiet, doesn't it? So we, ha we know that experience, we know that mental muscle of the mind dropping its dependence on the diversity, complexity of experience, and just, and the mind, what it, the mind is realizing is that it can be put down. It's not about putting it down forever, but when we know we can put it down, when we start paying attention to the ordinary details of life, we're holding it more lightly, because we know we can put it down. That's the amazing thing. It's like it's a, it's a, a technique in bartering when you're trying to buy something or you're selling something, you know. Right? This is an age-old technique. You walk away from the deal. You show the person, I'm not afraid of losing this deal, you know. And you have to be, you have to really be willing to walk away so that it's, the other person is convinced, oh, if I don't compromise, I'm going to lose the sale. And this is an inner principle. We have to be willing to die. We have to be willing to turn our attention away. So this third step, third and fourth step in the Buddha's 16 instructions with the breath, and the 16 steps are there 
in the document that's in this, uh, that will be on the calendar. You can do it, or those of you online can just find it in the chat now. But the third and fourth step, what we're doing is, the Buddha is saying, don't pay attention to anything, except I'm asking you to train yourself to pay attention to the good feeling in the totality of the body, right? Because you need the mind that is willing to allow the body to be the way it is. We're not, when, when this third step, when we're being aware of the whole body, we're not obsessing about the places in the body that are painful. It's a generous yes to the whole body. And when we can do that, then we'll start to notice the calming effect of that generous yes to the whole body. And we're then allowing that good feeling, that calm, to widen, to soften and widen, and start to fill the whole body. And remember the images, the similes the Buddha used, like spreading, uh, one way it gets translated, like a barber would whip up the lather and spread it, you know, I forget the soap they used at the time, but you're kind of building the foam of the soap so it can spread. Or like the spring water fills, permeates the entire lake. Or the lotuses that don't come above the water are completely submerged, suffused by the coolness, the wetness of the water. Nothing is untouched by that pleasurable quality. So we, I mean, part of the reason to talk about this is we want to feel an incentive because this feels good. We have to fall in love with our meditation practice or it will run the course of all of our other habits we try to cultivate. You know, we got to eat spinach or we <laughs> make kale smoothies or whatever it is we thought was going to really fix our life, you know, and bought the exercise equipment that now is sitting in the basement collecting dust or whatever it might be. But the things we really stick with are things that we're deriving some resonant satisfaction from. But there isn't a, there's a, a hump we have to get over. We have to hear the instructions. We have to be inspired enough with the instructions that we're willing to undertake the training before we begin to feel the results. Because the results come because of that commitment to the training. And the training initially is knowing what it means to be present and then bringing that present moment awareness to something neutral un until there's some real continuity, which means the mind has dropped everything else in order to be continuously aware of the object, the meditation object, and then let the awareness start to be more inclusive of the present moment, like the totality of the body. And then with instructions five through 16, it's all about learning about the mind and heart. But the first four are really the integration of body and mind. And really getting a sense of this real pleasure. It's not hypothetical, it's not theoretical, it's real. And it feels good. And it's healing. 
This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.